Well, let's begin our Torah study and let's pray together. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kidshanu b'mitzvotav etzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to talk to you some tonight about being a a God-pleaser, a person who brings pleasure to God. And we want to look at a very special way that, that we can be pleasers of the Lord. And that's by serving in ministry within the community of faith in the, in the congregation. And we're going to look at some characteristics of those who, who accept the assignments because there, there are maybe three things that we want to keep in mind. And that is that, that those who belong to the Lord are called to take assignments from the Lord in order to serve. Remember when Moses went to Pharaoh and he had this word from the Lord, let my people go so that they can worship me. That's one way of putting it. But another way of putting it is so that they can serve me. And if you remember that Israel was uh, the slave of Pharaoh in uh, Egypt, the Lord was saying, I don't want the children of Israel to be slaves to Pharaoh. I want them to be slaves to me. Now, being a slave to the Lord is very different than being a slave to Pharaoh because the Lord always has your interests and your well-being and your good in mind, and Pharaoh never did. You will have to serve somebody, Bob Dylan said, and it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And the Lord called Israel out of slavery into a new kind of servanthood. The word in Hebrew for slave and servant is identical. There's not a distinction. In English, of course, when we say slave, it's a terrible thing that we're talking about. And when we say servant, it's a nice religious thing. But actually, in Hebrew, it's the same thing. Because those who serve the Lord have put their will under their master and have accepted the authority of the master and have accepted his right and his um, power to lead them for good. So when Israel was called out of Egypt, they were called to serve, they were called to worship, they were called to... um, to give everything that they had to the Lord. And for that reason, it became very clear that Israel needed to learn to take assignments, not to just do what they were accustomed to doing or even what they wanted to do, but to accept assignments from the Lord, or you could use another word, to accept orders from the Lord. Sort of like the military, but a little bit different because the military has a different purpose than uh, the community of faith. But to accept assignments from the Lord and also to be faithful with the details, to pay attention to the details, and then to carry out the work as true service to the Lord. Sometimes we can forget why we're serving, And we can think, oh, we're serving because we have gifts and talents. 
But gifts and talents are not enough. Sometimes we have to serve even when we don't have great giftings. And sometimes people have gifts and talents that can be used for other means, but the Lord wants to use them for his purposes. We'll look at just a few verses that will show us that. So that's sort of an opening, and we're going to start by looking at some assignments that were given in this week's Torah portion. Several were given. You can turn to Exodus chapter 28, where we will begin. God gives Moses an assignment to appoint Aaron and his sons as priests, as Kohanim. And it's not just an assignment to Moses, but if you understand this, Aaron and his sons get the assignment. So Moses is told, tell them this is their assignment. And then Aaron and his sons have to accept the assignment and to move forward in it. And then we'll see a few more details. Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest. So you see, it's not so that Aaron will find total fulfillment in his own person. This is not uh, self-importance that we're talking about. This is about service to the Lord. So this is other-oriented. It's an orientation where we're putting our eyes on the Lord, we're focusing on him, and we're ministering to him. That's what the Lord says. That he may minister to me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadav, Avihu, uh, Elazar, and Itamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. And you shall speak the same to the gifted artisans whom I fill with the spirit of wisdom that they would make Aaron's garments to consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. So here we see it's not just Moses who has his assignment. It's not just Aaron and his sons who have their assignment. But it's also the creative folk who are uh, skilled artisans who get their assignments. And what's interesting to me in this is none of these people volunteered, if you will. They didn't say, you know, I want to do something. God said, I volunteer you. I volunteer you. I volunteer you. And in the, in the Psalms, it says, in the day of the Lord's power, the people volunteer freely. But we have to understand, it's not just saying, yeah, 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 I want to do what I want to do. Volunteering needs to be understood in a different way as agreeing to serve as the Lord wants for his purposes. When we say to the Lord, you are Adonai, we're not making a theological statement. We're making a statement about authority. You're the boss. I remember when I realized the Lord was actually the Lord. And I, I could tell another person, it's true, he's God. It's true, Yeshua is the Messiah. But you know what was really hard? To let him tell me what to do. Of course, if I already agreed with what he was telling me to do, I was okay with that. I'll give an example. The, the fellow who led me to the Lord and was discipling me came over to see Sandy and me one night, and he said, the Lord sent me here to pray for you all to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I said, yeah, I'm for that. And so he prayed for me. I received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I started 
speaking in unknown tongues. It was a wonderful and marvelous experience. I thought this was fantastic, to be honest with you. And then, not long after that, I started reading in the scriptures about being immersed in water. Well, I didn't want to be immersed in water. I did want to be immersed with the Holy Spirit. But I knew I would get in trouble with my family and my community if I was immersed in water. I thought it was a bad idea to get in trouble like that. And so I didn't agree when, the, when I would read in the scriptures, believe, you know, repent, believe, receive forgiveness, be immersed in water, and be immersed in the Holy Spirit. I agreed with everything but be immersed in water. I didn't like that part. So I spent months refusing to do this thing. And then there, there came a point where it was really clear I wasn't telling the truth to the Lord when I said, you're Lord. Because when you say, you're Lord, you're saying, you have ultimate authority. Am I right? And you have power. You're legitimate, and you can boss me around. Now, that's really different than saying, God, when you and I agree, I'm happy to do it. So the picture that we have in, Genesis, in Exodus 28 is a picture of God taking the initiative, giving definition to who uh, people are and what they're going to do and how they're going to use their gifts, their time, etc., and expecting them to agree with him on his terms. That's the picture here. And the Lord is saying, Aaron, you're going to be the priest. Your sons will be the priests. This is for you to do. Now, I don't know that Aaron was thinking, I want to be a priest. And you'll see in the, in, uh, in the weeks to come that there were some moments when things did not go well for him and his family. And he lost some sons because they wanted to uh, be priests on their own terms. And to lead worship the way they wanted to do it in a way that the scriptures talk about as strange fire, if we can call it that. When we try to bring to God what he doesn't ask for and we try to substitute with something we want to do that's actually uh, displeasing to him. Of course, the Lord loves initiative, but not all initiative is good in the eyes of the Lord. So I'm sure there was a time when Aaron was thinking, who got me into this? Why am I doing this? And the answer was, the Lord got him into this. So you have this picture of the willingness to take assignments because Moses doesn't. He carries out his assignment. He goes to his brother. He doesn't say, hey, bro, how do you feel about doing this? Would you like to do it? He goes to Aaron and he says, Aaron, thus saith the Lord. And Aaron doesn't say, you know, I was sort of hoping to be a businessman. Or whatever. Aaron says, yes, sir, Lord. That was his response. And Aaron says to his sons, guess what, boys? You're in the ministry. You're in the army now. And they gave themselves to that. But as well, Moses goes to the creative artists and says, I want you to make things. 
I want you to make what I want you to make, not what you want to make. I want you to want to make what I want you to make. And you know, with creative people, it's often easy for creative people to do what they see to do and what they want to do, but not necessarily to fulfill someone else's direction. And uh, some of you who are creative know it can be challenging. You want to express your art according to your own internal motivation. But God is saying, I'm looking for people who will serve me with their gifts. And where it says gifted artists, the, the Hebrew there is speaking about those who are, who are filled with the spirit of wisdom and those who have wisdom in their hearts. So it's a special kind of person who's willing to use God's wisdom and the spirit of God in him in order to do service. So here you've got a, you've got a picture And that is, all these folks are being given assignments by the Lord. And they're responding in a positive way. We'll see that Yeshua worked in a similar way with his Talmudim. So let's turn to Luke chapter 9. I believe that Yeshua's view of the community of faith, the congregation, Yeshua's congregation, is, is quite different than what we often think in modern times as a congregation. The, the single characteristic, if I understand, of Yeshua's Talmudim is that he could trust them to carry out the spiritual assignments and the practical assignments that he gave to them. In other words, they would minister under his authority and under his direction. It's not that they just showed up. It's not that they were just attenders. And I I remember speaking in Budapest uh, to our congregation there, and I said, your ministry is not the ministry of bringing your tuchas to a chair and planting it in the chair and saying, well, here I am. No, the ministry is that when you're here, you're worshiping God, you're, you're serving him, and you're learning so that you can carry out assignments in the rest of your life as well. So you've got to be willing. So let's look at Luke chapter 9, the first six verses. When Yeshua called the 12 together, I love that, the 12. We know who they are, but they were known by others as the 12. Well, look, there go the 12. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he told them this, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Now, in California, you can't work this way. In California today, if someone in your workplace, not religious, someone in your workplace is given an assignment, they have to be reimbursed for all the costs of the assignment. In this case, Yeshua says, I'm sending you out to minister. You're on your own financially. And I want you to go with nothing so that you can do it the way I want you to do it this time. Now, how many of you would like to go to another city with nothing? 
go to another city, you don't have gas money, you don't have food, you don't have a place to stay, you don't have reservations, you don't have bread, you don't have an extra shirt. You're taking what you're wearing and you're hoping, you're hoping. And it says, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people don't welcome you, leave their town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so they set out and they went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. So you see something about these disciples. They did what Yeshua said. They didn't have a big discussion. Well, wait a minute. Who's covering the costs? Wait a minute. How's this going to work? Yeshua told them what the terms were in this particular case. And he wanted them to go on those terms. Do you hear Do you hear this? So the 12 go out and they minister according to the terms the Lord gives them. Now let's go to the next chapter. This is Luke chapter 10. And we'll look at the first few verses here as well. And this is an example of more assignments that are given and more assignments that are received. In this case to the 70 or 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two. So how did they go out? Two by two, in pairs. They didn't go and work independently. They ministered together. He sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So this is interesting, isn't it? He's got a plan. He's going to how many different places? At least 35, 36. Right? At least. At least. And they could go to more than one town. That's possible. So it could be even more than that. Yeshua has an itinerary for ministry that he's going to be embarking on. And he wants these disciples of his to go first and to open up the way. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but there aren't a lot of people who want to do the work. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. I'm sending you out like lambs among the wolves. What kind of boss is this? I'm sending you into a dangerous place place that may reject you and may not like you. They may eat you up. But go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't take a purse or bag or sandals and don't greet anyone on the road. You see, look at the details. That's what I love about this passage. Yeshua communicates details. I want you to do this. I want you to do it this way. And when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. Shalom. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eat and drink, whatever they give you. The worker deserves his wages. Okay, so so now we find out how they're going to eat and drink. Through the kindness and mercy and hospitality of those who receive them in these other cities. Don't move around from house to house. Verse 8, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. And then going down to verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and they said, Lord, 
Even the demons submit to us in your name. We got power. That's what they said. It's incredible, Lord. And Yeshua said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So we see something. Yeshua sends them out on an assignment. They come back and they report to him and to one another about how they carried out the assignment, how it went. And then they receive further instruction. You see, this is on-the-job training. And it's part of Yeshua's pattern. You learn and you do. And then you learn some more. And then you do some more. And then you learn some more. It's quite a bit different than the seminary model, the typical seminary model, which is you go to all the classes you need to, you read all the books you need to, you write all the papers you need to, you do all the, you pass all the tests you need to, and then you're ready to minister. Yeshua has a, has a, has a different approach to it. Now later in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, Yeshua says, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And that's sort of a summary that helps us understand that obedience to God is part of our love relationship with him. To hear him and to do what's pleasing to him. This is part of the life. It's not just believing in doctrines and dogmas. It's listening to the Lord, having intimate fellowship with him, and then carrying out the assignments that he gives to you and being accountable for those assignments. That issue of accountability, the issue of uh, agreeing to do things the way we're told to do them, it's all part of the package, and it's something that can be challenging in uh, these independent times and places that we live in. Now, let's contrast those two examples with an example from our Haftorah from 1 Samuel chapter 15. I ask you to turn there so we can look at a situation with King Saul. I was thinking about King Saul and sort of amusing myself with the thought, what if King Saul came to Jacksonville to hold a conference? And he was going to hold a conference on serving the Lord, having victory, in the day of battle, he was going to hold a conference on how you can take dominion in your territory. And he was going to be talking about uh, how you can be successful in your ministry. How many would want to learn from King Saul how to do this stuff? Anyone? It's really easy because we know the truth about Saul, right? We know who he is and what he's like. The fact that he might talk about himself and what he's learned one way doesn't really mean anything. And yet we live in times when people go to conferences without knowing who's talking, without knowing whether they're real or not, without knowing whether they have fruit that is good or not. 
And the scriptures are very clear. We, we, need to, we need to know what we're getting involved in and we need to know who we're getting involved with. And this is one of the reasons why congregations are important because in congregations you find out who people are. You learn about yourself, you learn about other people as well. So back to the Haftorah portion, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Saul's given an assignment to do battle with the Amalekites. And when I was thinking about the Amalekites, I was thinking about ISIS today. And, you know, we can understand right now the need to do battle with ISIS. And the Amalekites, I think, were even worse. They were brutal. They were violent. They were vicious, vicious enemies of God and Israel. And they had actually lost their legitimacy as a people before God. You know, not every nation that rises up is a permanent nation. And nations come and go. And there are a lot of nations we can read about from ancient history that simply have faded away and their empires are gone. So the Amalekites were, were those who were so against God and so against Israel that they actually forfeited their future. And Saul, as a king, was given a responsibility uh, to go to war against the Amalekites. This wasn't an individual decision. This was a national decision. And nations have the right to defend themselves. As you know, that's one of the, um, the common rights of all nations. So Saul responded with some discernment and, and some nuance. And we'll pick it up where, we, where um, this happens in verse 6, 1 Samuel 15, 6. Shaul said to the Kenny or the Kenites, Go away, withdraw, leave your homes that you have there with the Amalekites. You see, there were Kenites who lived among the Amalekites. And Saul says, you need to pull out now and move because otherwise I might destroy you along with them, even though you were kind to all the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And so the Kenites went away from the Amalekites. It reminds me a little bit about how um, Israel would warn people to get away uh, from Hamas and their missiles during the Gazan War. And they'd say, we're going to do something, and we don't want to hurt those of you who have nothing to do with this. Get away. But bombs are coming. The military is coming to these targets, and we're concerned for your well-being. So move out. The Kenites moved out. And then Shaul attacked Amalek, and he started at Havilah, and he continued toward Shur at the border of Egypt. He took Agag, the king of Amalek, alive, but he completely destroyed the people and he put them to the sword. And his instruction earlier in the chapter was to fully eliminate them. And that's a little bit hard for us to understand at this point in time in modern history. We tend to think of that purely as an evil of genocide. But in, in those days, there were evil people who, who no one would have wanted to continue to be a threat, given how evil they were. So verse 9, Shaul and the people spared Agog. So who spared Agog? Shaul, Saul, and, and the people. They spared Agog along with the best of the sheep and cattle and even the second best. Also the lambs, and then look at this, everything that was good. They weren't inclined to destroy these things. 
but everything that was worthless or weak, they completely destroyed. So God had said, whatever it is, destroy it. And the people said, wait a minute. This stuff's got value to us. We don't want to destroy it. We want to keep it. This other stuff we don't care about, let's destroy it. Then the word of the Lord, Adonai, came to Samuel, to Shmuel. And the Lord says, I regret setting up Shaul as king. Powerful statement. Because. Today Sandy was emphasizing this to me because she said that she had heard over the years people perplexed about you know, God's decision. And here he explains it. Here's why I regret. The Lord says, because he's turned back from following me and he hasn't obeyed my orders. You see, he used to be willing to be obedient to me, to listen to me, but he's not willing anymore. And for that reason, I regret it. You see, if you want to be a pleaser of God, you've got to keep being willing to do what he wants done. And there can be resolution, positive resolution. When I was resisting what God wanted me to do by being immersed in water, I, I wasn't being obedient. I wasn't fulfilling with my life what I had said I was going to do in obedience to the Lord. And, you know, it, I felt that I wasn't pleasing the Lord, but I was not comfortable with that. Have you ever been in that situation? So you tune it out. But I, I tried to tune it out, and I couldn't. It kept coming back. I understood I'm not doing what he wants me to do. I'm not being faithful. I'm doing what I want to do. I, did, I had to reckon with that. It took me months of counting the costs, really, and understanding that if I was going to live for God and call him Lord, I had to be ready to do what he called me to do. The Lord says, I regret setting up Shaul as king because he's turned back from following me and he hasn't obeyed my orders. This made Samuel very sad, and so he cried to the Lord all night long. Samuel got up early in the morning to meet Saul. However, Samuel was told, Saul came to Carmel to set up a monument for himself there. Now he's left and he's on his way down to Gilgal. So Saul has this victory over Amalek. Not the victory the Lord wanted, but his own victory. He's so proud of himself, he erects a monument to bring honor to him because of how well he accomplished his victory. And you can see, after the monument comes the speaking tour, right? But now he's left, he's on his way down to Gilgal. Samuel went to Shaul, Saul. Saul said to him, Saul said to him, May the Lord bless you. I've done what the Lord ordered. You know, if you're going to lie to yourself, it's one thing. But if you're going to lie to Samuel, it's another thing. Samuel answered, If so, why do I hear sheep bleeding and cows mooing? Whoa. And Saul says, he points at the people, They brought them from the... Amalekites, the people spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to Adonai your God. Why are they here? See, now he's turning it around. 
and he's saying, you know, they really had a good motive. Their motive was they were going to take the very best and offer it to the Lord as a sacrifice. I personally think they wanted it as booty for the war, but the Lord did not allow them to have any booty from um, any plunder at all. They brought them from the Amalekites because the people spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we completely destroyed the rest. And Samuel said, stop. I'm going to tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said, okay, speak. And Samuel said, you may be small in your own sight, but you are head of the tribes of Israel. The Lord anointed you king over Israel. The Lord sent you on a mission and told you. You see, the Lord gave you an assignment with details. Go and completely destroy Amalek, those sinners. Keep making war on them until they have been eliminated. Why did you seize the spoil instead of paying attention to what Adonai said? From the Lord's viewpoint, you have done an evil thing. Serious, isn't it? Do you think that Saul's a God pleaser? Uh-uh. He was given an assignment, he accepted the assignment, but he wouldn't do it the way he was told by the Lord. Saul said to Samuel, I did too pay attention to what the Lord said, and I carried out the mission on which the Lord sent me. So now he's, he's saying, I did everything right. I brought back Agag, the king of Amalek. I completely destroyed Amalek. The people took some of the spoil, the best of the sheep and cattle set aside for destruction, but that was to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel says, Does the Lord take as much pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying what the Lord says? Surely obeying is better than sacrifice. And heeding the Lord's orders is better than the fat of rams. Rebellion is like the sin of sorcery. Stubbornness like the crime of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Very serious. Do you see the contrast? And Saul... Listen, every one of us could be Saul at some point in our lives. Every one of us has the capability of twisting things around to make it look like we did everything just so. Every one of us has the ability to justify ourselves. Every one of us has the ability to be arrogant in the eyes of the Lord and doing things just the way we want to do it. Saul later says, I was afraid of the people. I, I don't really even think that's honest, because I don't think it was sincere repentance. I think he wanted to curry favor with the people by giving them an opportunity to get the spoils of war. And the Lord did not want to enrich them in that fashion. And so uh, it, Saul wanted to manipulate the people. And he wanted 
to, to get a high opinion from them by giving them what they wanted. And then they'd say, look, we went to war and Saul was victorious. He led us into battle. And now we've got all these riches that came to us through our victory. In God's eyes, that was an evil thing to do. He did not want to enrich Israel in this way. Two verses from Scripture summarize some of these important ideas. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says this, We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. And then Proverbs 29, verse 25 says this, Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. So, powerful lessons in the scriptures for us this week about the importance of taking assignments, paying attention to the details, and doing everything that we do as to the Lord, not to ourselves, not to win a position for ourselves, not to, to get other people to like us. That may be a side benefit when people who love the Lord join together and they see one person being obedient to the Lord. It strengthens their love and appreciation for each other. But it comes from obedience, not from disobedience. It comes from the sacrifice of obedience and not other kinds of sacrifices. So we have an excellent comparison with Moses, Aaron, Aaron's sons, and the skilled artisans, and how they put themselves in the position of doing what the Lord wants the way the Lord wants. We have the excellent uh, example from the 12 and from the 72 who accept the assignments that Yeshua gives without arguing, they go out of town. They they minister doing what the Lord asked them to do the way he wanted to, and they come back with a desire to be accountable and also to encourage one another and to learn from the process. And we have that great example. And then we have the terrible example of Saul and those who joined with him. And we see that you can't please God the way Saul tried to do it. You can please God through faith. And faith includes faithfulness. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith doesn't mean just believing in an abstract thing. Faith means to be faithful to the one who you call Lord to follow his instructions, and to carry out his direction. That's a great picture for us. And I think as we're we're focusing in these weeks and months on the life of the community and the lessons that we have about community from the scriptures, we can see what we want to become. We want to be a people of faith. We want to be a community of faith. We want to be surrounded with faithful people. And that's why I'm here. I think that's why you're here. So let's pray that God will mature us in this faithfulness, in this congregation. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you give us good lessons through your scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. 
And thank you for those who have proved faithful to you. And we honor them. We look to them as examples and good instruction for us. And we pray, Lord, that we would be strong in our faith and strong in our faithfulness and that we would grow even stronger in our service to you as faithful men and women. And we ask this, Lord, with humility and with sincerity. In the name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai panavelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, sir. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir.